Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's guest is David Caprillion, a principal at Mercer's Denver office. His work focuses on benefit issues in general and retirement issues in particular. He's the lead consultant and client manager for several large corporations in the automotive, mining, and technology sectors. He's worked with unions and supported merger and acquisition activity. Originally from Detroit, David studied actuarial science and became an associate in the Society of Actuaries. Hello, David, and welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thank you. I've given our listeners some insight into your role and your career. Is there anything you'd like to add about yourself personally or professionally? been doing this consulting work for a good 30 years. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, starting in the technical actuarial business and working my way up, have had a blast uh, every single year that I've been doing this. My work started in Detroit area and then Chicago for a stint and now uh, home is here in Denver. My family, I've got uh, three kids and uh, we're just enjoying ourselves. So, David, tell me what personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful? Good question. One of the things that I tell everybody and that I try to practice all the time, um, as I say, call, send, call. I think that with email, it's so easy just to shoot off a note and to stay in contact with people. Um, but the extra personal touch of calling somebody and telling them that uh, that you're about to send them something so they expect it and then following up afterwards to make sure that they've received it, that they understand it, and that they don't have any questions and putting the onus on myself to create that uh, follow-up and that activity creates, um, it's, it's proactive and it creates trust with the clients. They know that I'm going to be following up. Uh, they're busy um, and they know they don't have to worry about uh, setting up a time that I'll go ahead and do it. And I think that it builds uh, strong relationships. That's great. What a great uh, idea to have that cadence of call, send, call. Hmm, excellent. So, So other best practices, what do you do tactically that really has allowed you to continue to grow your business? You know, anything specific besides call, send, call? As you know, as one of the strengths I would say about being an actuary is our strong technical skills that we have. When you have strong technical skills, you rely on yourself to look at information, make decisions, make sure that things make sense. But as I've uh, grown up in this field and as I've had more responsibility for building relationships, I find that it's, it's so important to bring in teams of people, people with separate and different distinct skills than I do. Uh, The diversity of thought is so critical to make sure that when we're engaging a client, we're thinking about uh, the the problems and the issues that they're facing from a variety of different points of view. I unfortunately, because of my background, I tend to have a fairly narrow uh, point of view or I, I can have a very narrow point of view and grabbing other people to be involved in a sales process, whether it's behind the scenes or it's actually engaging the client directly is unbelievably helpful and uh, has really helped propel me in, in my career and, and, and with my clients to help expand these relationships that I have. That's a great, great point. And actually, we interviewed a CEO from a law firm who created teams, including finance professionals for every client, business professionals, client professionals. 
What would a team at Mercer look like that would be going out and talking to a client? What would be that makeup? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, so because my background is, is more on the benefit side of uh, uh, consulting with human resource firms, some of the, the people that I would want to include would be uh, folks that have compensation background, communication uh, experience. I also find that it's interesting when I engage uh, significantly younger folks in client engagements and client pursuits because they have so so much energy. They they want to uh, be involved. They want to do the research. They uh, love being out in front, and and they actually add energy to the team. Um, clearly, uh, I need uh, people that I can trust so that we can sort of, if something's going on and I just, I'm not sure what direction, I need colleagues that I, I can lean on to sort of identify what I'm hearing and get their independent thought. Because once you're close to the fire, sometimes it's hard to uh, uh, pull yourself back and get that independence. So the, the teams that the client might see might be uh, people with other separate skill sets. But the team that, that, that I actually engage with is, is actually fairly broad-based. I know David, and he definitely does not present himself as a guy who's been working for 30 years. Every year, I'm sure, in January or hopefully in the fall in preparation for a new fiscal, whenever that is, I'm sure you sat down and had some kind of plan, whether it was written or formal, informal, you had some strategy uh, for that coming year. So, you know, what, what does that strategy look like? Do you- Interesting question. You know, I really didn't, wasn't raised up in the, the sort of sales process. Um, but whenever I sit down and, and, and you're absolutely right, when we sit down at the beginning of the year, we, we set goals. We set goals in terms of growing our revenue. And obviously in order to do that, you have to uh, have clients uh, or prospects uh, decide to utilize your services. Um, so the, I don't know that I have a, a necessarily formal process, but the first place I, I always look is my existing client base. I, I look at the clients that I have and make sure that as, as best that I can, and again, it usually involves involving other people in the assessment process, I want to make sure that our, our foundation is solid, is rock solid, because it's very difficult to grow if, if clients are leaving you. So by ensuring that the existing client base is solid, um, sometimes we may find gaps. And if we find gaps, the first order of business is to make sure that there's that we close those gaps with the existing clients to make sure that we're not just filling holes that we've created, but actually growing once we uh, sell new products or sell new services to our clients. Second thing that is critically important is understanding where the clients are. At least this is from my perspective. So one of my recent clients that I was working with, we found out that one of our team members was part of a mergers and acquisitions team. And so as we thought about the challenges that they were facing, they had a goal of doubling in five years. So understanding the client and what their needs are um, helped identify services that they might need from us in order to fulfill their business needs. Uh, the activities that I typically do at the beginning of the year, uh, using that as an example, are focused on the client. What does the client need? What do my clients need uh, in order 
to fulfill their goals um, and a little bit less focused on what services and products we have. Um, clearly, we have to understand those, but we uh, I, I, I don't like to be in a situation where I feel that I'm pushing product to a client that may not be interested. Fantastic. I have to say that I think is a key response, right? How do we listen to our clients, do research if we can, if not research, just be very aware, right? Through conversation of what they're dealing with as a business. And uh, again, one of my lawyer friends says it's truly providing counsel to the client, not to your point, pushing a product or a service. I like that. I like that term counsel. I think that's perfectly said. So Dave, a lot has happened. And especially since 2008, a lot has happened in the market and, and things are have changed. And we're probably a little more stable right now, at least in the United States versus other places. But what have you seen in your business and what have you done to really adjust to these changing market conditions? Well, that's a good question. I think one of the things... I, from our point of view, is that if it looks to me like the our clients have to do more work with less resources. Um, human resources, unfortunately, um, when uh, from my perspective, when clients when our clients look at human resources, they actually um, are not producing product, and so it's considered overhead. And because it's overhead, it becomes an area that gets squeezed a little bit, maybe a little bit more than than other parts of the business uh, in order to maintain their own um, ability to uh, uh, exist as a company. Uh, so the people that, that I'm working with on a day-to-day basis have to do more. And they have fewer resources in order to accomplish their their mission, their tasks, and their goals. So it's incumbent on me to respond to that, to make it easier for them to work with us, easier for them to to contract with us, uh, easier for them um, to then take our ideas and present it to their leadership for approval and for uh, execution, if that's uh, ultimately the decisions that are being made. Um, It's critically important for me to make sure that they're informed of market trends so they can start talking with their business leaders and their uh, uh, business partners in order to be able to implement change that would affect a business and affect it in a positive way. Uh, so they're, they, there's absolutely no question that they need to lean on us more. They need us to be as efficient as uh, we possibly can be in order for them to uh, be able to move forward. They just don't have the time as, as much as they, they had prior to this economic situation. Have you seen a trend or a change in the way you're pricing the work that you're doing? Have you seen, uh, we've heard a lot about not retainer-based pricing, but fixed-based pricing or value pricing being a trend in professional services. Have you seen that in your business? And if you have, you know, what, is, what does it look like? Yeah, uh, we've absolutely, we have seen, good question, we have seen uh, fixed pricing uh, models. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, it like everything, I think that there's good and there's bad. Um, the, as you pointed out, the, the pricing that we would typically do or is based on our hourly rates. And as we, um, as because 
when you have hourly rates, there's there's no sort of target. The client doesn't know exactly what you're going to charge for service. And so if you can put in a fixed price, um, that that's very helpful for them and makes it their job a lot easier. They know that it's, you know, a thousand dollars for this or two thousand dollars for this or whatever that pricing is. And um, that that ease is fantastic. On the other hand, what sometimes makes that difficult is that although when you think about it, uh, uh, when I think about a consulting project, you think about, you know, we're here at point A and we need to get to point B. And when you do a fixed price, you assume that there's almost a straight line between A and B because you're trying to help the client and make your pricing as efficient and as low as possible. But the reality is in consulting projects, um, the projects themselves take twists and turns along the way. And those twists and turns that you face add time. And in our business, time equals money. And so you have you end up with a choice. You can either ask the client for some more money and then they feel nickel and dimed. Or you try and hold to that price and then internally we feel nickel and dimed. And, and that dynamic sometimes uh, is not uh, – is very difficult to navigate through. And so within the the nature, I, I like the fixed fees because it makes it easier for the client. Um, as long as, you know, the idea though is the fixed fee is just to make it easier, uh, not necessarily uh, make more profits or to uh, harm anything. Of course, obviously some of this is, dependent on the contracts that you have with the client. If the contracts specifically state that you you will do it on an hourly rate basis, then obviously you have to make sure that you're doing that. Um, But, but, but it is a, it is a funny thing. We are seeing that because it's easier to have fixed fees, um, there's a, a gravitation in our business that way. And when you don't have these out of scope services that you have to charge for, and you've done a great job scoping, um, it really works out well. It's a great answer. And I have to say, you know, to our listeners, uh, Ron Baker, who is uh, one of our uh, interviewees, he's made it his life mission to change professional services, uh, you know, and move it away from the hourly billing. He's quite driven. If you believe in full transparency, which I do in terms of pricing, the market will dictate whether your product or your consulting that you're doing is priced correctly. And that doesn't matter whether it's on a fixed basis or um, you're doing it on a variable basis. There you go. Because that is exactly what happens. Let's turn to some stories. When you think about current clients, new business clients. There's a couple that come come straight to mind. There was uh, one uh, client that I had a while ago. Um, actually, when I started working with them, it's a, it was we didn't do any uh, consulting work with them at all. And... Uh, I uh, was uh, found somebody that was willing to at least return a couple emails, and I called them a couple times. And uh, there was something going on there in their business; they were going through some layoffs. And I had a suggestion about some things that they should consider in order to make the uh, cost of the layoffs a little bit more palatable to the organization. So I sent them a note, and I followed up with a phone call, and and they. Uh, came back and said, you know, thanks, but uh, we sort of have, we've been doing this for a while. We know what we're doing. Have a nice day. And which is sort of typical, right? We're bringing ideas out there and, you know, they've got their own way of doing it. They're, they don't know me from Adam. And so they're, uh, 
they weren't ready to 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 buy. And uh, they weren't ready. If they were ready to buy, they were certainly weren't ready to buy for me. So I, I, I waited about a, a week and I thought about this and I talked to some of my coworkers. And um, after about a week, I, I reached back out. I, I called them and said, you know, clearly, you know, I, I, I understand some of the things that are going on in the business. And I understand some of the, the products and services that we provide to other clients. But, apparent, but I don't know you very well. And, and I, I want to bring ideas out there that are interesting to you and that resonate with your experiences and how you deliver your services within your organization, HR services within your organization. Would you mind uh, spending a couple hours where I can ask you questions and get to know you a little bit better? Um, that way, the ideas that I come up with hopefully will resonate with you a little bit more. And they agreed. And so from that, I'll say, non-success of, of talking about um, uh, severance benefits and, and severance solutions and severance um, uh, opportunities to save some money, I was able to get a meeting. And from that meeting, we had a client that then we were able to talk about, we were able to connect. I, I was able to connect very well with them. Um, I was able to listen to some of the issues that they were facing. And then they gave us a little project. It was, it was, uh, I, I can remember the number. We were on the phone. Um, I said, this would typically cost $50,000 to do. And they said, I don't have budget. I only have a $25,000 budget. And uh, I said, you know what? For a first project, I'll take, I'll take it. And so we got our first toe in the door with them. And from that $25,000 over the next three years, uh, we were doing over seven figures of consulting work with this company for two years running. So, you know, you never know where that spark is going to, to come from. You never know when you're going to get that opportunity. But when somebody says no, there's a way of turning no into a yes and into um, activity. And so I don't get discouraged. So back to your point, when you're talking to people, when I talk to people about this, I tell them not to get discouraged. You're going to hear no a lot and that that's part of the process of building trust with somebody and continuing to persevere through that no. Um, so perhaps it'll turn into a yes. At least if they say no, they're engaged. Absolutely. With existing clients as well as with uh, prospects. Is there another story or maybe one where you were less than successful? I was asked to be to uh, own a relationship with a client that was extremely unhappy. And so I was walking into a very negative situation right off the bat. Um, and... Uh, uh, so as I was walking in, you know, we asked what the client what they wanted and and what would what would make turn this relationship around and and um, we were internally the team was executing on a plan to do certain things uh, better than they were before um, and and in the same process we were asking our senior leadership of our organization somebody completely independent unrelated to this um, came in and. Uh, was checking in and saying, Hey, how's it going? Dave is new. Is this going well? Are we doing what we promised, et cetera. And we got some great feedback after about six months and I was all 
uh, happy. <laughs> I was, yay, I've turned this around. I've got a bad, uh, bad situation. Now this client is nice and happy and we're motoring through and I'm, you know, and everything's going well. And, uh, um, about eight months later, um, you know, I, I just, uh, on an, on a regular basis, I have a, a, a regular, just a feedback form, just tell us how we're doing. And I sent it in and they didn't send it back. And I went, I went, that's sort of odd. Interesting. So I called them and they said, well, you know, it's sort of hard. We typically don't do this. This is sort of new. I'm like, okay. And uh, we, we started talking internally again. Okay. So what, what do we think is going on here? Um, uh, there was a, a project that was coming up that uh, uh, we were going to bid on. And all of a sudden the project got split into pieces, which um you know, made us curious. We didn't hear about it beforehand. We heard, heard about it sort of after a decision was made. And uh, so we went back out there and we did um, another, we had another independent person come out, talk with the client. They said, yeah, we liked him at the beginning. We don't like Dave now. And I was, I was shocked. I was shocked. I'm like, wow, what happened in this, you know, eight months, intervening eight months, we had this fantastic feedback and, and it, there, there, quite frankly, wasn't a lot of things that we had done differently. The reality was that I had gotten complacent around this, this change. We needed to make change. We needed to demonstrate change. And we needed to sustain it. And we needed to be continuously talking about it and making sure that they understood what we were doing and moving forward. But I lost sight of that. I was like, okay, the relationship issue is solved. No problem there. I can move on and we can sort of behave. I don't want to say normal, but we can behave in a more regular, you know, uh, trusting relationship there. And I hadn't earned it yet. I hadn't been doing it long enough. And so as I was trying to, you know, execute on other things, I lost sight of that. And so... The positive thing was that I was at least smart enough to recognize that there was something going on and we got somebody else out there. But in the short term, I wasn't asking for that continuous feedback to make sure that we were on uh, the, a, a good path. And I'll never do that to your point. I'll never do that again. I'm always asking for feedback from my clients. How are we doing? How's the team doing? And also more regularly asking outsiders within our firm, outsiders of, uh, to come in and check on to make sure that, you know, we're thrilling our clients with the services they've done. I'm no longer on that client. They put a new client manager on it. They're still an existing client and they're doing great work and the relationship is turned and is, is po in the positive direction again. But I lost sight of that and it's something I, I won't do again. Thank you for conveying that story because I think we've all had that experience where, you know, things are going well. And, and I have to say, David, I think it happens to us as we become more seasoned because we, we have confidence, right? We have confidence when someone says to us, hey, it's going well, we believe them and we want to continue. And time, of course, you know, keeps marching on, right? And, and things happen. So what a fabulous story and what a great experience for people to kind of reflect on. Because I think we've, again, if we're experienced, we've all had them. And if we're not experienced, uh, it's a great thing to think we can never lose sight, right? We have to build in those checkpoints for ourselves, 
for our work. And I think even what you talked about in the beginning, the call, send, call, if you're doing that regularly with all of your clients and you're asking, it may be call, send, call, ask. I, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. Fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that. And what are you seeing out there that you would identify as being innovative, either from a service perspective, product perspective, what you see your clients doing? What have you seen that you would give, you know, really save that word for innovative? What's innovative out there? It's sort of an interesting thing. I'm going to pick on the healthcare benefits right now. Um, a lot of uh, the consulting firms, including Mercer and, and all of our competitors, are uh, developing a product uh, called Exchanges, and, and mostly in reaction to the Affordable Care Act uh, uh, and the changes in the healthcare space. Um, and, and, and so, when you look at what's going on and the technology that's available now that hasn't been available before. And the, the landscape uh, with uh, the increasing cost of healthcare, you see companies now looking toward exchanges as a, a way of uh, increasing some complexity, keeping some costs down, and actually not um, adding additional burden to their existing staff. However, when you look at this and, and this this idea around these exchanges is actually an old idea that's coming back to the surface. Uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, cafeteria plans that this really is sort of modeled after. What's innovative is the technology that's driving it. The idea has always been there, but the technology um, allows this idea to resurface again in a new way, packaged differently. Um, I also, you know, my background is retirement and 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 uh, pension consulting in that area. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on in other countries um, that that I think it'd be interesting to see if some of those ideas will be applicable here in the United States. I was just talking with a a good friend of mine, uh, Lee Gold, who sits just a couple doors down from me. Um, and he was talking about how you create certainty around costs, which is what CFOs want and companies want, but also allow an employee to have some certainty in retirement that they've got an income. Um, that certainty is sort of being taken away because our traditional pension plans are disappearing. And as they disappear, the security that they provide is disappearing as well. And as we have a, this whole generation that's about ready to enter retirement, it, it's a pretty scary proposition. And, and so we have to look elsewhere to see if there are changes within um, uh, the, the, the pension environment that potentially would uh, be applicable here in the United States and allow that that type of benefit to maybe flourish again. So in talking with Lee, one of the things that he mentioned was that um, he's just uh, starting to have conversations with a client that actually may be starting up a new pension plan uh, for its employees, which is in this day and age is almost unheard of. So to me, although pension plans are are an existing thing, the ability to deliver those benefits maybe to another generation, maybe structured in a way that's a little bit different so that it can meet some of the financial goals that a company has is, is exciting. 
and 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 I'm I'm interested in in hearing more from him about his this initiative and his clients and what's going on there, and seeing if that message will resonate uh, with other clients. So that's what gets me excited uh, when I hear this new stuff. I don't know. You, you you said innovative. To me, those are innovative. Not that they're new, but they're they're a little bit different right now. It's so interesting when we talk about everything's been done before, right? It just looks different and it might have some new technology that makes it more efficient or puts it out there in a different way. And I think as I think about my experience in benefits administration and some of the work I'm doing in private equity, a lot of it's about risk and risk avoidance and protection against risk. And I would think that this these new plans could allow for both some security for those retirees and some alleviation of risk. That's a great point. When the risk is balanced, you know, it's not all employee, it's not all employer. When the risk is balanced, there's an opportunity for success. Business development and professional services. Do you think it's different in professional services than it is in other business to business environments? I think so. You know, I grew up in Detroit, so I think about cars and they're sort of my staple. And you think about somebody selling a car, right? The car is there on the showroom floor and people come in and you meet a salesperson and they're trying to figure out what your budget is, what kind of car you want, what kind of color it is, what kind of accessories that that you need on it and to try and fit you to a product that's there. Um, Selling professional services is fairly similar. You're, uh, you have uh, clients that are interested in buying services. Um, but the product isn't a car that's sitting behind you. It's actually you and your team. And and it, it changes that dynamic. Um, I think that the people like me, for example, um, actually take, it, it's very personal. And uh, I think that uh, building that relationship with with clients uh, is, you know, can be, again, extremely personal. And when I do it well, it's built for the long term. So I'm not worried about selling one car. I'm selling, I'm thinking about selling this person a car or a product or my services, our services for the rest of their life and for the rest of mine. And uh, when I think about it that way, it, uh, it sort of changes. I'm not worried about the today thing. I want to make sure that 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 the process we put in place, that the trust that we build, is going to be there for a long period of time. I often say that uh, that that our sales process is not a sprint; it's a marathon. And because we want to be doing it for such a long time with these clients, um, I probably would modify that and say sometimes there is a sprint, but there's also a marathon going on at the same time. And we have to be cognizant of both. And so I think it's very different than selling a product, for example, um, when you sell your own services and, and you really put yourself out there. 
Excellent. What a great analogy. It's uh, We're going to head into our last question. Many of our listeners are uh, millennial, mobile, and global. What advice would you give to those uh, folks out there who are starting their careers in professional services, specifically around uh, working with clients, client retention, and, and developing business, both um, with current clients and, and new clients? Uh, well, I'm always unbelievably impressed with the energy and the focus that these folks that that come out of uh, university have when it comes to the people that are joining. The, the advice that I would give is is to continue with that enthusiasm that, that I see with the people that I work with. I would probably make sure that they they stay focused, they understand what they want to do. When I look at myself in the mirror, if I'm doing the things that, that are true to myself, um, then I'm going to, then I enjoy everything that I do, everything that I do. And so if I was talking to a millennial and they sit down and they uh, have a conversation with their boss or their, um, um, you know, supervisor, whoever is sitting there setting their goals for the year, that they also understand that those are the goals that they need for the job, but they have personal goals that they have to achieve in order for them to be happy and to make sure that those goals are top of mind as they move uh, into this profession and really, quite frankly, into any profession that, 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 that they wish to pursue. Great, great answer. I, I have to agree. It's about the whole journey, not just the professional journey. David, thank you. I've enjoyed our time together. Anything else you'd like to add? No, Nicole, it was a true pleasure. I love doing this. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.
Thank you.